This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Well, good morning. Um, thank you for that uh, generous uh, welcome. And it's uh, always a privilege to fellowship with God's people. And uh, I must, though, t- start with a little confession, since I'm, I might touch on, on this issue of uh, repentance later on in the sermon. So I thought maybe let me just lead by example. Um, you know, sometimes I get to visit different uh, churches, so I'm a, you know, a frequent first-time visitor in many spaces. And whenever they make this announcement about first-time visitors, this is a real conflict for me because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm usually shy. I'm very shy. I don't, I don't like to raise my hand uh, during that time because I feel like everybody's watching. It draws attention. And so I just try and keep my hand to myself. However, uh, I also take a, a, a glance. At, I have this look to see what are they offering first-time visitors. And uh, if it's like chocolate or a piece of sweet or something like that, then you, know, then you find I raise my hands more often than not. And so uh, this is just a nudge, uh, wink, wink to the ushers. Uh, you would have had me at chocolate or, or, or sweet. Uh, and I suspect that there may be other people like me, other sinners here like me, first-time visitors who are looking for incentives. Uh, and for those of you who are not... Um, you know, who are not in that category and judging us, I hope the Lord convicts you of your own sin uh, during this time. Today, I, I, uh, this morning, I just want to um, share with you uh, what I believe is somewhat of a hopeful point for us as a, as a country, as us as a, as a church community, for us as a country, and beyond as well. And uh, I'm going to do that by making an argument uh, for a point that's just really, I think, one point that's going to be argued in different ways. And it is this point, uh, which is that I think that a community that is grounded in the incarnation is God's answer to a perplexed and hurting world. A community that is grounded in the incarnation, this event of God became man, is God's answer to a hurting world. So I'm going to try and speak about this in different ways. Uh, If you're taking notes, please, I'm going to be reading a lot uh, and doing somewhat of an exposition and giving somewhat of a commentary from 1 John chapter 1. So 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 to 10. That's what we're going to to do. So while you open your Bibles or your Bible devices, I will wait for you. I'd like you to see it in your own Bibles um, or your Bible devices if you are in the 21st century, uh, like most of us. Um, You know, Pastor Philip uh, spoke about you know, my, my children, I've got three daughters, aged four, three, and one. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a busy household. There's lots of life. There's lots of uh, 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 fun and laughter. And so when I'm not doing this, when I'm not traveling, and this is the most important part of my job, is when I'm not traveling, I'm a donkey, I am a, a monster. You know, I could identify with King Judah as he came to get the kids as soon as... He came in, I took a picture, sent it to my wife, showed it to my kids. Now my daughters want to come and meet uh, King Judah. Um, but I like, I like, I like the, 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 the life that young people bring into any community. Are you there in, if you are there, say. All right, good. Let's read 1 John together. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me just focus on the first four verses a bit before moving on to verse 5 to 10. This is an incredible vision for community that the author here is painting and making a case for. And I believe that it is in this vision of community where we can draw hope for some of the social narratives that have us really entangled, enslaved, with this sense of we don't know how to move forward. In our quest, if the question in South Africa, or one of the questions that we have is, how do we move from a shared troubled past to a shared hopeful future? We are lost somewhere in, in that movement, entangled somewhere there, and there is uh, a plethora uh, of suggestions from different people, certain ideology, uh, from certain ideological background, uh, trying to get us to move along, but it's difficult. I would like to say that there are some things that we can truly learn here that are not only good news for us as individuals, but also good news for us as the church community and good news for us as the wider South African community. This community, we are not a separate community from the community of South Africa and beyond. We are a community within a wider community, but not necessarily separate. And so we've got to be thinking about what is our role framed also as the church in helping that conversation move along. And again, like I said, and this is what John begins to argue for, that really a community that is grounded in the incarnation is God's answer, is God's hope. And let's see how he argues for it, or let's see how he opens it up and presents this vision for community to us. Right in the beginning, there is the language of beginnings that he uses, that which was from the beginning, right? He's about to tell us about the word of life, and he's about to tell us about the word of life that he encountered, that he had a, an experience with, and that we proclaim later on. But right in the beginning, he's telling us that which was from the beginning. He invokes the language of beginnings. We've encountered this language before. If you read Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read John 1 verse 1, uh, then you, you encounter the language there too. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so this idea that is implied there that later on as he talks about proclaiming, this Word that we're speaking about, Jesus Christ, the Word whom we proclaim, precedes our hearing and our proclaiming. He comes first. So before there is us as individuals and us as community, there comes this word of life. There is this word of life. The word of life precedes our proclaiming and our hearing, our hearing and our proclaiming. Why is this really important? Because this is also an answer to one of life's most perplexing questions. Because in trying to argue for anything, ultimately many questions get reduced to why is there something rather than nothing? Something that some people think is in the realm of philosophers and certainly many philosophers have thought about this and have asked this question. Why is there something rather than nothing when thinking about the universe? Because nothing in the universe can explain or can account for its own existence. And of course, one of the philosophers, Leibniz, who believed in God, answers this and says, look, 
there is something rather than nothing because there exists in this universe and beyond a necessary being who is the cause of everything else, but who also within himself has reasons for his own existence. There exists this necessary being who accounts for the existence of everything else, but who contains within himself his own reasons for his existence, God. Why is there something rather than nothing? And so John taps into that and says, that which was from the beginning. And then we talk, then he tells us about the life. This word of life was made manifest. There's another key idea as he introduces us to, to the person of Christ, the, the word of life. He tells us that he, the word of life was made manifest. It was not an invention, rather, uh, of our ingenuity, of human ingenuity, of our cleverness or our need. As some people goes to say, maybe God, man invented God because he just couldn't handle the harsh realities of the world today. Things are tough. And maybe that's why certain people invented God or hold on to this idea of God and, and maybe what progress and enlightenment is and we just need to grow up intellectually and let this idea of God go. Face reality. John is saying, no, this word is not something that we made up. He was made man. He was revealed to us. It's not our need or our cleverness that's invented him. But tell, then he goes on to tell us about the nature of this word. This word of life, he tells us, is not something that, we, that, is, not, that is merely uh, a proclamation that we hear, although that's a big part of it, but it is also that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands. This is, a, this is an incredible claim. It's not just something that we have heard proclaimed. It's not just some, Jesus is not somebody that somebody just told us about. But then he makes the startling claim. He says, I was in the company of those who had this experience with the word of life. I touched the word of life with my clumsy fingers. This is an important point because as we understand the person of Christ, we understand something very important that we did not have to go into heaven to put our heads through the clouds, so to speak, to understand the person of Christ. But God made a way and found a way to us and he was born in a way that made him accessible to us. The, 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 the practical application here is that for us who are convinced of this message as Christians, it means that then we have also a model of how to speak God to people, how to proclaim Christ to people, that we don't expect people to come into our spaces, learn our language, adopt our framework, conceptual frameworks, in order to understand the message that we are trying to communicate or the word of life that we are trying to communicate, but we need to get out, understand people, understand the language that they speak, and then contextualize our message so that it takes the shape of the people that we are speaking to. Our message stays the same, but our methods take the shape. The form of communication takes the shape of the people that we are trying to communicate Christ to. Now, this is uh, 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 also an important point because it, it sort of invokes this idea uh, or the picture of Thomas. You know, Thomas in the Bible is, uh, I feel, sometimes unjustly framed because he's the guy who doubted, who wanted to see evidence and proof. You know, because Thomas was a rational man and Thomas understood that the Romans were really good at what they did. When they killed you, you died. They were good at that. And he said, I, I saw you die. I was, I was there. And yet, here you are. And I, I, I'm sorry, I'm struggling to reconcile these two. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come. 
touch. He invites him to a touch experience. Come, touch. See, there's a philosopher by the name of Charles Taylor who says, we're living today in a secular, in a secular age. And what he means by secular age is just saying that, look, today, many people believe different things. Uh, you're a Christian, but as a Christian, you're well aware that you have chosen an option amongst other options, competing ideas and religions and so forth. Other options. You've chosen one option amongst others uh, as a Christian. We live in a pluralistic, uh, complex, multicultural society. There are other options available uh, that are also competing for our allegiance and our commitments. So that's what he says. This is a secular age. Now, in a secular age, there is also this war that's if you like, can be summarized between imminence and transcendence. Okay, this is important because those of us who say believe in God would fall under the transcendence uh, part, and there is a war that we have to fight because even those who believe in Christ, believe in God, look at the world today, and there's certain things that happen. They look at the suffering. They look at wars. They look at uh, uh, some, some, some of the failures of us as a church community. They go, maybe... This is all there is. And there's, so there's this, this is, uh, doubt that is always uh, uh, barking and snapping at the heels of those who subscribe to a transcendent worldview. However, on the other side, you've got imminence, uh, where the world is disenchanted, where it's a closed system, it's a natural system, nothing supernatural uh, uh, can be permitted to explain anything or to intervene in anything historically. Now... And there, too, there is a battle and there's a war because Charles Taylor argues that, well, the world is haunted by God nonetheless, that even the world of those who subscribe to imminence, God still haunts that world such that they look at the same thing that the Christian may look at, suffering and so forth, and go, maybe there's something more. Julian Barnes, a famous author, essayist, in one of his essays, reflects the battle within imminence when he begins his uh, essay with this following, with this quote. He says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him because he looks into his world and he goes, man, if, if only I believed in God, there's certain things that would be easy to explain or at least would be explained in such a way that there's hope and there's relief. Pascal, who was a Christian, then therefore advised Christians this way. And he said, when talking or making a case for Christianity, he said, ha, huh, when you're speaking to others, make them wish that Christianity was true and then show them that it is. But Thomas, but John, they say to us, we have had this experience where we can touch him. We not only hear him, but we have this experience, this tangible experience with the word of life. In other words, there's a personal experience, there's a move from just hearing about him to having this experience that leads to this transformation, this personal transformation. Then we move on. And he says something. So we proclaimed him, right? We we, 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 we ourselves proclaimed him. So not only did we hear, not only did we have an experience, but we proclaimed him. Now, when you, when you sort of stop there and you think, this is amazing. What an amazing claim already that there is a God that we can know, that we can have an experience through Jesus Christ with. This is powerful. And you think, surely this has to be the end of it. But no, he's going somewhere. And this is where he now comes into community. And he says, this is, why did we do it? From verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So why did we, why, firstly, let, 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 me, let me go into this word um, uh, of fellowship there. Uh, that's a translated, it's a, it's, a, it's a weak word, better translation would be a community but however, even the English, is, 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 it really struggles to capture what we're talking about here, where it says the word, the mo, the, the word uh, that is uh, used there is uh, koinonia, which really is the best form of community. But it talks about a, a community where there's sharing, there's commonality, where there's uh, fellowship, yes. But sometimes in our minds, we tend to think when we hear the word fellowship or community, we think about this uh, sense of there's uh, some 
form of friendly social relations. So not just friendly social relations, but a matter of deep bond of common interest and commitment. This is what we're talking about when he says community. This is why we preach so that there can be this kind of community. Now, this is important because I get invited to come and speak, say, on a topic of how can we, um, how can we, how can we facilitate reconciliation, racial reconciliation, say, in the church. And one of the things that I realize when people think about reconciliation, they think about the former, so that we can be friendly with one another, so that we can seize hostility, so that we can smile and we can be in the same space without wanting to kill each other. You know, maybe this is so we can be comfortable while we are together. We are friendly. This is, this is uh, the view that a lot of people have. Actually, that is a low bar according to the Christian worldview about what community is. It's a, it's a very low bar. The, the, the picture that we're seeing is one of a community that is bonded together in commitment and interest. And it's not an easy one to, be, to, to facilitate, of course, because it means doing life together. It means understanding ourselves as one community. And of course, uh, it moves beyond just, okay, we, we do a few things together. It says we do life together. What, 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 makes, what breaks your heart breaks mine. What you celebrate, I celebrate. When you, when you lament, I lament. This is often seen in, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a wedding for, for lack of, uh, the I, I only example I can think of right now is when I had to do my lobola, um, and I had to pay my lobola, and, uh, you know, the whole idea of it is that when individuals marry, it's not just a marriage of individuals, but it's actually a marriage of families, and so there are rituals that facilitate the coming together of families so that by the end of this process, which may include, you know, buying gifts to, you know, for every member on the family tree of the other member, uh, which was very interesting, even dead people, for instance, you know, um, you know, uh, when we went and we got a list from Lusanda's family, my wife Lusanda's family, we looked and was like, oh, this, has, this is who is important in this family. And a lot of people were like, oh, this person is dead, but this person will stand in for them. And uh, it was very interesting. So we had to give, you know, gifts to people. But, you know, one thing I realized at the end of that process, we realized their family was our family. And our family was their family. We were one family. There was something that facilitated. And by the end of it, our weddings were their weddings and you know, their parties are our parties and vice versa. Their, you know, their funerals are our funerals. This is what had the end result is this. It's something like that, but take that and multiply it by 100. This is what it looks like. So as a church, we need to move beyond reconciliation and talk about community. This is what the picture that emerges. But he says, this is why we proclaim Christ so that there may be community. Wait a minute. But don't we proclaim Christ so that people can be saved? So that people's sins can be forgiven and they can access that? So that people can go to heaven instead of hell? Well, here's the thing. No, that's again a low bar of what John is saying. John does not exclude those things. He says, yes, you're saved from the wrath of God. But you were not just created to be saved from the wrath of God. You are created for something more than that. The, the wrath of God's sin is the obstacle. And what we do, and, and, and this is what God does through Jesus Christ. He removes the obstacle. But it's crazy to think that just by removing the obstacle, you've found your purpose. There's so much more. And he brings us into that vision. You were made to be in community. And as he paints the picture, the community with God and with the community that God is adding you to. A new community that Christ has created, you are being added. So when we preach, we're preaching, come and become and have fellowship. Be in community with God and be in community with us. It's a startling claim. And the end result, it says in verse 4, we did this, right? And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So this is the result of this proclamation right, leads, 
really to the inclusion of those who are outside. So we proclaim, and those who are outside of this community, our community, also God's community, they come in. And the result of this community formation is joy. This is it. This is it. So this, the reason why we did this is so that you may come into our community, but the end result is joy. Joy is the picture that he's talking about, that he's looking at here. Then he switches his focus. I'm going to summarize this point, that so strong is John's vision of community that he says that unless there is this union with Christ, human beings remain strangers to one another and the life, the very life, of God that animates creation. And he's saying Christ is this important link into breaking this hostility, this inherent hostility. I have come to believe this in painful ways, where there have been amazing programs that I've facilitated in different spaces that bring people closer and closer and closer and ever closer, and it may, you know, look like that friendly social relations, which some people are okay to have. I've facilitated amazing conversations where I've seen that. However, in order for us to move beyond, I have not found yet any solution other than the fact that there is a Christ who breaks the barriers, the, the walls of hostility to bring people into new humanity and bring them together and form community. That's where my hope is. I'm involved in many initiatives to this end, but this is where ultimately my hope lies. In verse, verses 5 to 10, we are now introduced to what happens in this community, walking in light or in the light and doing truth. This is how you can summarize what happens in the community. Walking in the light and doing truth. Now, right in the beginning, uh, we, 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 we read, if you, if you want a refresher, actually, maybe let's read from verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all or there is no darkness. So, how does God relate to this community apart from the fact that this community is grounded in the word of life? Well, God's knowledge and moral purity shines a light on this community. It means as a community, as we exist, we are always aware that the standard is God's knowledge. The standard is God's own moral purity. That the standard is not coming from uh, different members in the group. The standard is not coming from different groups within the group. It's coming from God himself. And it is his knowledge and his moral purity that shines a light onto the community. Now, when that happens, we read verse 6, verse 8, verse 10. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we begin to realize that both in speech and in action, that even us, God's people, can be in contradiction or con can contradict God's moral economy. It is possible that those in this community can, in speech and action, the apostle says, contradict God's own moral economy. And how does this happen? He says, well, when this happens, or this is how it also happens, is that the first cause, uh, uh, a casualty of sin in history, or amongst the first casualties of sin, rather, in history, is the truthfulness of speech. If we say, if we say, if we say, there's a truthfulness of speech that can also be lost because of sin within the community. Like Adam, this is what was lost when, when sin came, truthfulness of speech 
we, he, we, like Adam, sometimes we lie to God and we lie to ourselves or to one another. And he says, this is what we need to be careful of. Another thing that can happen is that we may lose sight of God's wisdom. And when we do that, then we lose a mature and a balanced picture of who we are as God's creatures in the world. I'll give you an example of when this happens. So when we lose the concept of sin, for instance, when, when, when the concept of sin is relegated to before you're a Christian or it's relegated to uh, terms like a mishap or a mistake or you know, things that make it more palatable, then historically this has happened and people think and move towards the idea that man then is naturally good. And if, of course, man is naturally good, then his defects, so the things that we see in this world today, spring either from ignorance or environmental deprivation of some sort. So if man really is naturally good, then if we see him malfunctioning, then it means it's either because he's ignorant or it's from some form of environmental uh, deprivation. The problem with that, of course, is that to fix such a thing is you throw more education. You try and conscientize uh, uh, that person to try and fix them. You, you change their environment or try to help them overcome their background and so forth, the effects of their background. And we're not seeing change when we do this. We are horrified that educated people who hurt other people, right, just, or rather people who hurt other people, you give them education, just get better at hurting people. It's, it's, it's like uh, the analogy that C.S. Lewis uh, actually used when he said, well, you know, um, I think he was on a train, the train was delayed, and because somebody stole, you know, something, maybe uh, some of the bolts on the line or something, and somebody said, look, you know, if only we could educate these, these criminals. And C.S. Lewis, you know, said, well, look, if you educate them, next time they'll come back and steal the whole line. There is something deeper that is needed to change hearts and values and desires and where we place value in our identities. It's very interesting to me when we come together as Christians that sometimes when certain topics flare up or they rise up, that immediately the move is to defend the wrong things or the things that we confess on Sunday are not our priority and not the center of what we believe. If there is war, or if somebody declared war in this room, and you didn't run to the nearest Christian, but ran to the nearest person who you regarded as your group, there would be a problem. Can I say that again? If I said, right now there's war, and you ran to all the people wearing blue, blue shirts today, and said, these are my people, we must be fighting against all those wearing pink, as Christians, there would be something wrong with that. You agree? We need to move to a place where we can understand ourselves in community as a people joined in, as we're joined in Christ. There's a lot of work to be done to get to that place. There's a lot of truth-telling that needs to happen. There's a lot of grace that needs to happen. There's a lot of freedom that needs to happen before we can get to that place. But when we do, we will see hope recycled and recycled, recycled. It will become part of our DNA. Another thing that happens, so truthful speech becomes a casualty, but also sometimes our ability to understand in a mature way who we are in, as God's creatures in this world, but also there's a self-deception that can enter and a dishonesty that John warns us about, which leads to the divorcing uh, of practice from truth, or theory, uh, rather, uh, from, from practice. And when that happens, it leads to a not doing truth. He says there, we won't do truth. There's, now, the word, uh, we, do, we lie and we do not do the truth. 
is a very important word for John because he's saying to us that truth is, not, is, is always to be embodied. We can't just speak about truth. Truth has to be embodied because the model is the word itself. The word became flesh. And therefore, truth in our communities needs to be embodied. It's another way of saying we've got to walk what we preach. We have to live what we preach. The encounter with everybody else, people need to come in and not hear what it is that we preach, but they need to encounter it in the way that we live. That's what he's saying. It's very important. It's not just a nice statement that he picked up from a leadership seminar. He's saying it's rooted in the fact that the word to us became flesh. Truth was embodied in the person of Christ. Therefore, if we know God authentically, active obedience to his word will follow. If we know God authentically, active obedience will follow. He gives us an example. It's not in the first uh, 10 verses of chapter 1, but it's actually there in uh, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. I'll read it to you. Where for, 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 for John, it's very clear what he's talking about. He's even giving concrete examples. This is what he says. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you see what he did? He's moving from this is how Christ treated us to this is how we should treat others. But at least you think this is abstract. He goes on to say, oh, no, 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 this is concrete. We, as, as, as this community or the community of God, it, it has to be followed by concrete acts of mercy. If you have the world's possession, you've got goods, and you see your brother or sister who's in need, and you don't help them, you close your heart to them, how can you say you have God's love? This is not a socialist argument. This is what a community says that is grounded in the incarnation does. And a Authentic belief in God is followed by acts of obedience. I know. In your heart, maybe some of us have this. Maybe there's some things here. Maybe there's a nuance. Wrestle with it. But understand that what he's saying here is saying there are some concrete things that we've got to do that align with our belief and our faith. James 2, he says the same thing, for instance, but he uses the idea of favoritism, favoritism uh, as a, or classism as a, as a form of favoritism. Brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in Jesus Christ. And the example he gives, it says, a rich man comes in and you honor him. He comes into your services and you honor him. You give him the best seat. And a poor person, you tuck him away. He says, that's not compatible with faith in Jesus Christ. You know how many places I've been where this is a standard of how people are differentiated? And it doesn't have to be in the service, but it can be in extended community and other activities. But James is very clear. This, is, this kind of behavior is incompatible with faith in Jesus Christ. That's something that's tangible. We can go and look into our communities. But then verse 9 brings this relief. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we find ourselves that if, when, when, rather not if, when we do sin, we find that God has given us this confession, right? This thing called confession, which is undergirded by his own character. He is faithful to forgive. And through this, we can have access to his forgiveness and a charge to do better. And so, excuse me, and so, rather than, say, hiding, when, when God's light and his knowledge, his moral purity shines this bright light on us as a community that is growing, learning how to reflect him more, when this happens and we find ourselves exposed in our speech and in our action, he, rather than hiding, God invites us into repentance into confession. 
and we are told that we would walk in the light. This is what walking in the light is. And again, it's something that it's not done in many places uh, because it's often reserved for the big things or it's often reserved maybe uh, for the personal thing. But John is saying that there's a community, yes, a community that is in fellowship with God, but because God continuously critiques it, Jesus, the acts of Jesus critiques it, then we find ourselves on the wrong side of God's truth. We are confessing and He's giving us, we receive this charge, do better, do better, do better. And we're coming better, we're becoming better, we're becoming better to the extent that other people that we invite in to have fellowship with us when they come in, they can really taste and see that the Lord is good. By being in community with us, people can taste and see that the Lord is good. Did you see how he connects community with us, with connecting community with God as well? They're so intertwined that we become a missional community, but we've got to get better at representing him, not just only for the sake of us and honoring our grounding, the incarnation, the word of life, but also we do better because those we are proclaiming, we are witnessing, and those who are coming from outside come in and receive that uh, news, that the good news. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. I'll finish off with an illustration, and then we'll pray. You know, when, when uh, Maisha was born, um, our firstborn girl, as, as a first-time parent, you, you want to do everything right. You know, you're just like, Lord, please, I don't want to kill my, my daughter. Uh, if you're like me, then you're reading everything that you can put your hands on. You can, you know, you can find you're reading, uh, I'm interviewing people. So, you know, which books helped you in your journey? Uh, and people are recommending, I'm reading, I'm looking at, you know, right at the end, you know, at the book list, uh, the bibliography, that's important to me. I'm trying to find those books or some key ideas and I'm reading. But you just want to do everything right. And you're very sensitive because your child, I mean, it's like moving from not having a child to having a child for me was like I, I, I discovered that there were compartments in my heart that I didn't even know existed, Right? When your child cries, they, they echo in those parts. As a dad, there's, there's certain compartments I didn't even know, but yet I can hear the echo of my child's cry. Came the time for us to take our daughter to go get her, her vaccinations. Man, it was a big debate. Again, I went to the scholarly route. I've heard that, you know, this, um, this can be you know, damaging to your child. I'm going to read everything. Arguments. I put an argument map. You know, I put, I read some journals and I did the, you know, my homework. And eventually, you know, I reached a conclusion uh, for us, at least with my wife, that, okay, this is, this is what we should do. Why? The big thing was, oh, I don't want to hurt my child. I don't want to subject them to unnecessary pain. And then this is what happened. When we walked in, there was a big, I mean, the, the nurse takes out this giant injection, giant needle, and I look at my daughter's arm, it's so tiny, so tender. And I'm thinking, they're going to stick, he's going to stab my daughter with that thing. That moment, there's this big conflict in me. Because I think that it's the right thing to do. But there is no way for me to communicate this to my daughter. Not because of my inability to communicate, but because of her inability to understand meaningfully anything I might say to her. So what I decided to do in that moment, I say, you know what? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be present. And when she gets that stab, and when I see that look, you know, that look that is perplexed, that look that immediately when someone is in pain, that look that, that you see it and you, you, you see the question, why? When I see it, I'm going to move swiftly. I'm going to put my arms around her, and I'm going to bring her close, and I'm going to say, it's okay. Papa is here. The Christian story tells us about a God who looks at the suffering of the world, and he didn't stay out. He decided he was going to be born. This incarnation that John is talking, he was going to get involved intimately. He was born in his world. He suffered alongside of us, but not suffering alongside of us, but he suffers because of us. He suffered because of us. 
but not only alongside and because of us, but through his suffering, we realize that we can have access to real comfort that matters in the now when we are suffering, but also an access to ways in which we can become reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. We are then invited to participate with God in this world today. That's why it's not just saved from the wrath of God, but we're invited to participate with Him meaningfully now in God's work to restore, to fix His cosmos. So the fact that we were not united with Him was one issue, but He's fixing other issues and He's inviting us to participate. And along that journey, it means that we may find that we are not yet in line with Him, in step with Him, in pace with Him, because of his knowledge and moral purity. We realize we may not be walking in light, maybe with the issues that we have in our hearts, maybe prejudice or the ways of thinking uh, about other people, the way of treating other people in the interpersonal or in the institutional, right? If we talk about maybe as a local church, because you can talk about the church, you can also talk about the local church institutionally or at our places of work, our roles, procedures, and that sort of thing. But also then it moves on to the cultural, everything all-encompassing. And we find that we might not. We repent, we get better, so we can be better instruments of working with Him in this work that He's doing. This is what Christ does. And so that when we become that community that God has called us to be with Him and here in this world, then we become those arms to a perplexed world, a world that is in pain, that is asking why. We become God's loving arms that moves in swiftly by being a community, by putting our our arms around, inviting people into our space, putting them closer, just like I did for Maisha, and so that the world can hear that message of Emmanuel. It's okay. Papa is here. Come, let us pray. Pastor Philip. I want to I ask you if you take a few moments to pray for yourself. During this time, maybe you felt that I said something that you identified or you heard something that you identified and in your heart you say, I think God is speaking to me and I want to respond. Will you respond in a form of prayer? Say, God, I hear you. I think this is what you're saying and I'm saying Yes. Um, maybe it's just a deep appreciation of the fact that God saves us from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ that we don't have to pay for the the consequences for our sin because Jesus Christ took that upon himself on the cross he died then he was raised from the dead proving that he's a son of God offering forgiveness or maybe you are here and you're at that place where you're saying, I want to receive that forgiveness. Having heard it this way, I don't think that I've understood it or maybe I just want to today afresh receive that forgiveness, claim that forgiveness for me. Maybe you're part of a community for a while and you're saying, you know, I, I really have prioritized other things um, other than just understanding what this community of God means, not just the local church but the being part of the body of believers universally and you're saying it finds itself uh, uh, an expression here in this local church but Lord forgive me where I have uh, not walked in the light in speech and in action um, in my views about the world about myself understanding myself as God's creature in the world God often divorcing theory from practice, speaking about knowing the truth but not yet doing. Maybe during this time God showed you the truth that you say you know but maybe you're not doing. And you want to say sorry. God, I repent. I confess it before you as sin. Thank you that you made provision in Jesus Christ for forgiveness. I receive the charge to do better. Empower me with your spirit, Lord, to live rightly.
want to say, if there's somebody here, before I just pray for everyone, um, if, if there's somebody here and you're saying, you know, I just want to start with the first step and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to just receive the sacrifice, the offer of forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want to be a Christian. I want to start there as an entry point into this amazing calling, this amazing community. If that's you and you're here, I don't want to close this without giving you an opportunity to respond. What's important is you respond in your heart. But again, with no one looking around, just focusing on you right now. If, if you're here, would you just raise your hands and put it down? Um, this is just for you and God. Put your hand up. Put your hand down. I want to pray for you. Um, is there anyone like that saying, that's me. I'm making that decision. Okay. I'm going to ask Pastor Philip to come and pray for us uh, as we respond as well. Father, we thank you this morning just for, for your word, which is life, Lord God. And your word, which was in the beginning and existed way before, but it is still to life, alive today, Lord. And it still speaks to our hearts in the most beautiful of ways. Lord, we thank you for this message, and we just bring our hearts before you individually and as a, a local church community. And we say we want to be the community, Lord, who is rooted in the incarnation, grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, and we want to be that answer to the confused, the perplexed, the broken world out there, Lord. So we pray that you would ground us in you, Jesus, and your incarnation and your coming to be amongst us, Lord, that we would be your people in your broken world, Lord God, bringing your healing, bringing your comfort, bringing your hope. God, I pray for every one of us that even now and in this afternoon and in the week and weeks to come, that you would show us what that means for our lives, Lord God. How that translates for where we're at when we wake up tomorrow morning and where we go tomorrow, Jesus, that we may be carriers of the incarnation in a sense. We may carry that message of hope and joy and reconciliation that Papa is here. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.